Okay, with that, uh, turn back in your Bible with me, please, to Proverbs chapter 4. Hey, there she is. We were just praying for you. How's it feel? Yeah, a little sore still? Okay. I was telling Mike, we need to get this guy. It's a Dodger, right? We need to get him to sign it. So. Oh, we did. Okay. Um, well, we're, we're thankful that it was your arm and not, you know, your head, or you said there was a child sitting next to you, so, yeah, praise the Lord for that, so. Um, we need to get her, a, uh, I think, a, like a first baseman's glove or an outfielder's glove or something like that, uh, so. All right, guys, uh, turn back to Proverbs, and we're going to jump in here. Uh, if, again, if you're new, we're in a verse-by-verse study of the book of Proverbs, which is challenging because Proverbs is, is somewhat of a difficult book to study. Uh, Ken, would you mind closing that door just to keep the HVACs happy in here? Thanks. Um, and and uh, so we're nearing the end of our study. Uh, we're doing a couple more topical um, uh, times together. And then really the last two chapters, chapter 30 and chapter 31, come back to a more verse-by-verse uh, arrangement. So we'll, we'll conclude by talking about chapter 30 and 31 here in a few weeks. Uh, but there's one or two more topics we need to discuss. And um, you know, by way of introduction... Well, what happened to that? Was that has that been off the whole time? Okay. Well, this is that time of year where we occasionally have overheating problems, so we'll see if we can get this thing to behave itself. So, um, if this ends up dying, just let me know. If you are over here um, and you can't see that one, just let me know, and I can help you with the blanks. But um, so, so Proverbs. One of the ways Proverbs comes at us. One of the ways it's presented to us, of course, it's, a, it's really a book of, of um, God-inspired eavesdropping, if I can say it like that, because we get to look over the shoulder and listen in on a conversation that the wisest man that ever lived, according to Scripture, a godly man, he was the king of Israel, and he had a family. And, and the book of Proverbs is an opportunity for us to, to be a fly on the wall in his living room as he ministers to his children as he converses with them as he disciples with them and so really the intent of proverbs is it's a it's a parenting book it's it's designed to help uh, moms and dads to see how and and uh, by example and both through instruction how to minister to our children but of course we know it's way more than that too it's a book for young people as, as we look at solomon's agenda we say these are the issues that the young people in our midst here uh, need to be thinking about and, and the things of the Lord and how to honor him in those areas. Uh, and then we also learn that what young people need is what we old people need too as well, and that is to walk with God in wisdom and in the fear of the Lord and in his ways and in his instruction. So there's really something for everyone here. But one of the ways that Solomon introduces so many of the topics to us is by reminding us of, of dangerous people that we all meet in life. And it's a bit stereotypical. I just didn't... Did it turn on at all? Okay. All right. Well, we'll just leave that there. So, sorry, guys. If you picked this side of the room, sorry. Um, but one of the ways the Proverbs um, helps us is it introduces us to people that we're all going to meet, and these are the people we want to avoid. These are people that we really want to be careful about. So... Uh, one thing we want to do here also is welcome. We have some brand new 
young theologians in our midst here. We have the newly graduated uh, sixth graders that are now starting junior high. So we have a couple of ladies here. We got Noah and um, some other guys here. So welcome to our young theologians and a welcome to Sunday school uh, here. Hope this is, actually this is, this is a great morning to be here based on what we're going to talk about. So 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 guys, here are the people you're going to meet. These guys. But you want to be really careful when you do. Okay? Solomon warns us when you meet this person, you need to be careful. Okay, so, so let's talk about that. The bad guys in Proverbs. Who are the bad guys in Proverbs? You remember these? Uh, you guys, of course, can't see these, but they're on your notes there. The fool, right? That's one of the first people we're introduced to. The fool. Now, according to uh, Psalms 14.1, what does the fool say in his heart? What's that? There is no God. Okay, so, so the fool is characterized by a pragmatic atheism. He lives as if God doesn't exist. And we know that, right? People don't believe in God. They live very differently, don't they? Um, so we need to be careful of people that don't uh, honor God and, um, and live in fear of him. And of course, Solomon set, spends verse after verse after verse calling his children, calling us as believers to not live in foolishness, but to live in wisdom. And one of the ways that he teaches us that is by telling us, here's the fool, here's what he does, here's how he thinks, and here's why you don't want to be him. Okay. Uh, the second sort of bad person, bad guy of the Bible that we're introduced to in the book of Proverbs is the adulterous woman. This is, this is the person that is not your spouse that you might be tempted toward in terms of a sexual temptation or a romantic temptation and we see her in chapter five we see her in chapter seven we see her again in chapter nine and uh, she shows up all over the place now remember solomon's mainly talking to his boys so he's talking about the the immoral woman but of course that it's not a gender specific warning we could say the same thing to our young ladies about the wrong types of men out there that may be a source of temptation or even uh, a source of danger to them. So the fool, the adulterous woman, the sluggard. Who, who's the sluggard? Remind me about him. Tucker, what's the sluggard? That's right. Exactly. This is the lazy person. This, this is the person who is so lazy. Proverbs says he's in the middle of eating a meal and he's so lazy he puts his spoon down, and he kind of dozes off, and he forgets as he's in the middle of supper. Right? That's how lazy he is. Um, and, of course, we, you know, his, his home is, uh, you know, his yard is overcome with thorns and thistles, it says. Um, he's always living uh, like there's some, there's some reason why he can't be responsible with his duties. So we want to avoid the sluggard, the lazy person. The violent person. We talk right out of the gate in chapter 1. We learn about the violent person. Um, remember Solomon says, hey, son, if, if your friends say, hey, let's go. Lie and wait for blood. Let's, let's do these horrible things and take advantage of people. And, and uh, so we see violence is a, uh, the violent person is a, a bad guy, so to speak, of Proverbs. Uh, we've seen most recently the person lacking self-control. Uh, the, the last time we were together, we talked about a biblical view of emotions. Do you remember that? I know it was, I know it was like a month ago, but remember, um, the Bible's going to, uh, the Proverbs are going to say things like this: um, A wise man keeps himself under control. Right? Remember that. Um, 
the 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 guy who's lacking self-control is prone to just react however he or she happens to feel in any situation but proverbs tells us a wise person is keeping their emotions under control and is keeping themselves under control and is training themselves to respond based on the bible and not not based on the feelings or emotions of the moment. Okay, so that's kind of where we've been in terms of the bad guys in Proverbs. Let me introduce you to a new bad guy, the addict. The addict, that's your blank there. Uh, the fool, the adulterous woman, the sluggard, the violent, the one lacking self-control, and the addict. I'll try it one more time, guys. Okay, now let me, let me introduce you to uh, the addict. Turn over with me to Proverbs chapter 23. And let's look at this this person. Let's see if we can get our arms around uh, who who this person is. Proverbs chapter twenty three. I, I don't need to tell you how much of a problem addiction is in our culture. Um, we see um, problems with addiction in our community counseling ministry here in our church every week. Uh, every week you watch the news and you hear about a drunk driver who kills somebody. You hear about a, a prescription drug overdose, you know, someone who's getting painkillers and taking them in an in a unprescribed manner and they overdose on, on some uh, medication that they're on, illegal or prescription. Um, we all know sort of anecdotally people that are um, they're on their phone way too much. I don't want to step on your toes. I don't want to get too personal. But, you know, they're on their phone too much. Or they are they are always shopping online. Or they were always on their Xbox. Or they are always involved in what we call technology addiction of some sort. Um, okay, well, I guess it's not going to work. So. So, so when we think about those, that's the backdrop. That's the cultural backdrop um, today. But I want you to see that addictions are not anything new. I mean, of course, they didn't have social media addiction in the ninth century when Solomon wrote this. But the same mechanics, the same sort of heart issues that drove addiction in this culture are the same heart issues that drive addiction in our culture, understanding that we've developed some more uh, through some of the technology and medical things that are available today. But just just follow me here. Look at Proverbs chapter 23, verse 20. Listen to how Solomon comes at this. Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine. Now, now notice the parallel hill here. Or with gluttonous eaters of meat. Man. Why? For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty... And drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. So the Bible is very clear that we should not be associating people with people that are out of control. We might say addicted in terms of alcohol or in this case in what the Bible describes as gluttony. You know, you're eating too much. You're, you're gouging yourself, gorging yourself, excuse me, uh, in, in your eating as well. Now, what is the warning here? Why does Solomon say that we shouldn't be doing that? It leads to poverty. And what's interesting is the Bible doesn't have like a one-size-fits-all reason for why we shouldn't be 
drinking too much or gluttoning ourselves here. Um, it has lots of different things. And I, as we go through this study, I want you to note all of the ways that the Bible warns us about the problem of alcohol and the problem of gluttony. Um, but here it's poverty. And of course, if you spent all of your money on alcohol in the ninth century, you didn't go down to the food stamp office and get some food stamps and go to Walmart and buy your groceries and be okay that week. If you spent all your money on alcohol, you're done. Now, it's true today that the welfare system, though it, it, it changes to some degree the, the, uh, the cultural context that we read in Proverbs chapter 23, and, and in a sense it, it's a safety net of sorts, we know if you've ever been involved in ministering to somebody struggling with addiction, you know that financial issues are almost always in the picture. I mean, people are spending their money on uh, whatever their addiction is to the detriment of other legitimate purchases that they should be making. You see that in extreme cases in illegal drugs where people are, you know, they're draining their bank account, they're draining uh, their life savings, they're taking money from their kids. Uh, With financial issues, you see the problem of stealing, right? People are stealing from family members. They're taking advantage of anybody that they can so they can go buy, you know, one more ounce of whatever they're using. You see that there. Um, And you also see it, uh, you're going to laugh, Um, one of our hobbies is saltwater reef aquariums. And we have one, if you've never seen it, come on over to our house, we'd love to show you. We have a 100-gallon saltwater tank. And we have some live coral in our tank. It makes it pretty. They're these wonderful live little creatures that have this bacteria that does photosynthesis. It's a great, it's a great homeschool science lesson, actually, Melissa. It's, it's awesome. Uh, Lisa and I often say we can teach any branch of science using our tank, you know, from fluid dynamics and physics to chemistry and whatnot. Anyway, no, that's not what we're talking about. But so we got this tank, and uh, we have live coral, and, and one of the things we do is we, we buy and sell coral. It's a living organism, and so you don't just want to throw it away. When it grows, you trim it, and you can sell it, and that's how we fund the hobby. I mean, it's, it's a self-funding hobby. Well, as we've gotten to know other people in our little club, we have a little reefing club, a little saltwater aquarium club, um, I have thought this. I could start an entire counseling practice just counseling people that are what we might call reef-addicted. And I kid you not, as we meet uh, friends in our club, we have this little saltwater club, um, it's usually a guy, and he is pouring all this money into the hobby, and his wife hates it, and it's straining their marriage. I mean, we've heard about, unfortunately, divorces happening over this. So, So my point is, addiction can be anything. It can be your saltwater tank, for crying out loud. It doesn't have to be, you know, heroin addiction or something like that. And financial problems are a huge part because you're not making good decisions of stewardship. You're making decisions financially to only feed your addiction. Uh, Back up to chapter 20 and look at Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. So 23, 20 to 21 talk mainly about poverty and, and it says drowsiness here, meaning, you know, if you're, if you're drunk, you can't keep a job very well, which means you're not going to be able to make money, which means you're going to end up in poverty, you're going to be clothed in rags. So, so there's the, the association with work and being faithful on the job and spending your money in poverty. Notice Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1 comes at it from a different angle. Wine is a mocker, 
Strong drink is a brawler. Now let's just stop right there. What does that mean? Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a, is a brawler. I mean, if I had a, a case of Budweiser up here and we said, okay, how is that a brawler? Well, we could sit there and stare at the alcohol all day and it wouldn't do anything but sit there, right? So it's not the alcohol itself that's a brawler. It's not the wine itself that's a mocker. How does that connect? Who's doing the brawling? Who's doing the mocking? What's that? The person is. And why is the person doing that? Yeah, because alcohol affects your body, doesn't it? It negatively affects your body to where you lose an ability to be in control of your thoughts and words and actions. And by the way, God's standard of loving God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our might through our thoughts, words, and actions, that standard doesn't change just because a person is a little bit buzzed or, or totally drunk. So the point is, if you drink alcohol to where your senses are affected and now you engage in words and behavior that are ungodly, even though you're less in control of those things, you are still 100% responsible for them. So that's why he says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and here's the, here's the conclusion, whoever is intoxicated or Uh, We might translate that misled by it is not wise. Um, You know, I had one of my professors in school talked about how in life as a Christian, you're, you're trying to structure your life so that it promotes godliness and not sin. Right? We, we might think of a, a text like 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So as Christians, we're thinking about our life and we're thinking, okay, how can I pursue life? How can I structure my life in a way that promotes godliness and not sin? And we, we all should be thinking about that, right? And depending on where you and I are tempted, we're thinking about ways that we can do that. Well, Proverbs comes at this saying, let me tell you why you probably don't want to do this. Because if you get involved with alcohol, you are risking making ungodliness, making sin, making ungodly choices. You're making that much easier to do. And and not just by the alcohol itself. We'll talk about this uh, next week. Alcohol in the Bible, it's interesting. You can associate alcohol in the Bible with two or three other dozen vices. And it's true in our culture, too. Well, let me just ask you this. What, what is alcohol associated with in our culture that would probably be an ungodly thing to be involved in? Let's think here for a minute. What is alcohol associated with? What does it go with? Um, ungodly relationships, okay? What else? Establishments, okay? Establishes Establishments that might promote further ungodliness through entertainment or through uh, other things that they're offering, okay? What's that? Anger. Bad associations. That's right. You know, I I can't help but think because it's September, you know, we just sent, you know, a handful of students here back to college. And uh, this week, or maybe it was last week, is what's commonly called in the university world, Rush Week. 
where you're, you're, you're rushing a fraternity or sorority, and, and maybe you guys don't know what that means. There's these organizations on campus called fraternities or sororities. They're like clubs. And um, Rush Week is where they all advertise to try to get the new students to come to be a part of their club. Okay? Ask your mom and dad about more. But, but the thing is, almost all fraternities and sororities, one of the main things they do is they party. And party involves, almost always involves alcohol. It always involves sexual immorality. It often involves uh, other behaviors like violence and, and other things like that. And, and that, that, you know, it's like, hey, come rush. And, and you're going, why do I want to do this? And yet a new student who hasn't been warned about that or hasn't been trained to think about that, they may say, hey, this is the way to go. Uh, and maybe like you, maybe maybe you were drawn into that when you were in college. I had many good friends that were drawn into that. And, and literally in a matter of weeks, uh, these many of these people that had never had any alcohol, had never done that in high school, are now doing this every day, every weekend, any chance they can. Uh, and such pressure to, to be a part of that, especially on college campuses where the fraternity or sorority kind of functions as your identity in that. So, so Proverbs comes at this saying, you know, we got to be careful. Uh, it's not wise to be misled or intoxicated. Um, and then um, flip over to, to chapter 31, verse 4, and let's, let's look at uh, one more text, and then we'll continue on here. These are the words, uh, chapter 31, verse 1 says, these are the words of King Lemuel. So we don't really totally know who that is. It could be another king. It could be a um, uh, another title for King Solomon, uh, but nonetheless, it's in our inspired uh, book of Proverbs, so we, we take it with uh, with God given authority. But listen to what uh, King Lemuel says to his sons, who are, of course, the princes of the kingdom and will be the rulers at one point. He says, "It is not for verse four. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine." And you're thinking, "Well, wait a minute." If anybody has access to alcohol, it's the king, right? I mean, he's got everything he wants at his disposal. He's the one that throws parties. He's the one that brings in the kingdom. He's the one that has these vast, you know, weeks or even months-long uh, festivals. And this wise king says to his boys, it's not for you. You say, why? If anybody deserves it, if anybody can have it, it says, or for rulers to desire strong drink. Why? Lest they drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of the afflicted. He says to his sons, who are the princes, who are going to be the kings, don't get involved in this because you will not rule well as a king if you are misled by alcohol. And of course, uh, Saul, uh, Lemuel is talking uniquely to his sons here, but think about that. Do, do we care about Keeping the law of God? I mean, do we, do we think about walking with God in obedience and holiness and truth and righteousness? We think about our life that we want to be, you know, to God and for God in, in every thought, word, and action. Then we need to heed the principle of this verse too, don't we? That if we are misled by alcohol, we may not have as much of an ability or not have the ability at all to honor God in those moments. So anyway, for, for all those reasons, the Bible warns us about alcohol. We can, we can call him the alcoholic fool that shows up in the book of Proverbs. 
Now, and that brings up the whole subject of addiction, and I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, spend weeks on this, but I, I, I do want to introduce you to this idea because I find a, a lot of Christians struggle to think about addiction from a biblical standpoint. So, so let's zoom out just a bit. I want to give you some, just a biblical overview of addiction, and then we're going to come back to Proverbs and we're going to learn step by step uh, how we can uh, avoid. Uh, and, and think wisely about these things, and then also how we can help and minister to other people. So just a couple of things on your notes there. Addiction, we could define it as a persistent, compulsive, sinful behavior, which often involves the use of a substance and is characterized both by tolerance and withdrawal. So, so what does that mean? Um, tolerance is when you're consuming something or doing something, and over time you need more and more and more and more of it, to feel normal okay so so the the teenager who um smokes pot for the first time and he gets that that sort of relaxed you know man i feel great you know that's awesome um as as that person continues to use pot they will find that there is a tolerance built up and this is true with most drugs where to get that same feeling, you need to take more and more of the drug. Or in some cases, you say, you know what, pot's just not doing it for me. I'm going to try some meth. Or I'm going to try some K2. Or I'm going to, you know, what, whatever the, the common drugs are available that day. Uh, that's, why, that's why pot is often called a gateway drug. Because both statistically and even theologically, as we're, we're seeing it uh, unfold here, a biblical view... Um, it leads to other, uh, even more dangerous drugs. And then also withdrawal symptoms. What does that mean? As your body gets used to substances, if you stop taking that, su- that substance, what happens to you? What's that? Yeah, your body wigs out. Your, your body basically says, I'm going to make your life miserable till you give me more. And you have physiological, negative physiological effects that happen. Um, and, uh, um, you know, if, if, uh, if you have struggled or if you know somebody that's struggled to come off of alcohol or come off a drug, um, you, you know this. And in fact, there are, um, there are clinics that are called detoxification clinics. And the reason those exist is because, depending on what you're coming off of, um, it can be physiologically dangerous in some cases as you're trying to come off some of these harder drugs. And so a detox facility is designed to get you off of those drugs in a way that is safe, in a way where there are medical staff there uh, to watch over you as your body adjusts to that. Okay, But that, that's addiction. It's persistent, compulsive, sinful behavior. Uh, now in Scripture, you know, we don't read about opioid dependence in scripture we don't read about heroin we don't read about you know social media addiction what we do read a lot about in scripture is drunkenness or what the bible what the bible calls drunkenness Uh, sometimes we think of it as addiction to alcohol now here's what's interesting Uh, do you let me ask you do you believe this is the inspired and errant word of god okay do you believe it's sufficient for everything we need for life and godliness okay so 
how does this Bible help me with my friend who struggled with a heroin addiction when I go to the concordance and I look under H and there's no heroin? How is this sufficient? Because the concepts apply, that's right. So, so here's the thing, I want you to remember this. We can take what we learn about addiction with alcohol, which is the main addiction the Bible talks about, and we can think about how does the Bible understand that, what are the factors involved, why do people do that, and, and most importantly, what do we do to help, right? We can take those things and then we can then apply them to all other types of addiction, and that's how the Bible is sufficient. And uh, so that's what we're going to do in part here, okay? So, so we think of it, I've used the term paradigmatic in other words, what we learn about alcohol in the Bible is the paradigm. It's, it's the model for how we understand and help with other addictions. Now, there are several different types of addictions, and I don't want to bore you with all of this, uh, but just to get, there's basically, there's two buckets. There's two kinds of addiction. There's substance addictions and there's behavior addictions. A substance addiction is what we're talking about thus far, uh, where you're putting a substance into your body, and that is contributing to this uh, this compulsive, persistent behavior. Alcohol we see most common in the Bible. Uh, illegal drugs, of course, in, in our day, uh, it's going to be things like marijuana, uh, hallucinogens like PCP, uh, opiates um, like heroin, steroids, uh, stimulants uh, like meth. Um, and then we also see Prescription drugs, so these would be legal drugs, assuming you have a legitimate prescription from a physician. Uh, your opiates, uh, this is your hydrocodone and things like that. Uh, your stim stimulants like, like Ritalin and Adderall, uh, sometimes used to treat uh, ADHD. Uh, and then sedatives, things like uh, Xanax, which is often used uh, in the psychological world to treat anxiety disorders or um, Valium, uh, things like that. Okay, but those can be abused when they are used in a, a manner inconsistent with their medical need. And then others, um, inhalants, uh, nicotine products, and caffeine products uh, can all lead to uh, a substance-related addiction. Now, we think, okay, that's great, but it's interesting how the Bible also describes um, other behaviors that look like addiction even though no substance is being put in the body. So, so let me give you the classic example. There are hundreds of thousands of young men, teenagers, college students. This is a huge problem in Asia. If any of you guys have family or ministry connections in Asia where young men lock themselves in a room for weeks at a time to do gaming. And uh, they are in families where mom and dad, they're living at home. They don't have a job. They don't shower, from what I understand. Uh, mom and dad bring them food and are content to do that. And they're just online, doing online gaming for days and weeks at a time. And, uh, of course, in, in less extreme cases, we see that in our culture, although that, that does happen here. Uh, so there's, so, and when we look at that, we think, okay, it, it's compulsive, it's persistent, okay, um, if we try to get them off of it, they are drawn back to it, right? Uh, in some cases, they are unhappy, they are unpleasant to be around, they are disconnected socially. It's like they're not really there if they're not on their video games. 
And so you're looking at this and you're saying, well, this person is struggling with alcohol. This person is struggling with video games. Those are two very different situations, but they have a lot of similarities. And that's why even in the psychological world, things have changed to where you don't have to be putting a substance in your body to get an addiction disorder anymore. It can be video games. It can be gambling or something other than that because there are similarities in the behavior. So I have some ideas here. Gambling, social media, um, food addiction, sexual behavior. You hear about sexual addiction a lot. Video games, internet, TV, cell phone. And then I just put a blank there because the reality is almost anything can become an addiction. When we don't use it in moderation, when we don't use it in Christian wisdom. Okay, now, now let me, I've, I've got I've to give you this, and um, you guys have a picture in your notes here. You guys will have the benefit of seeing the PowerPoint. This, this is, um, I've, I've got to give you at least a little bit of background here so that the verses we're going to look at will make sense. Scripture teaches that, that people are an inner man and an outer man, right? We, we know that. That's review. We've talked about that before. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says the outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed day by day. So um, when we think about people, we think about this, this immaterial part, right? We call it the spirit, the soul, the mind, the heart. It's that immaterial part of people. Um, and then there's the physical part, the material part, the body, um, the flesh, uh, when it's talking about the body. The Bible uses that, the outer man. So if you, you guys can look at your notes and you guys can look at the PowerPoint here. We see that these, these verses here would inform us that the outer, or excuse me, the inner man is really driving the outer man. That's why, why Solomon said back in chapter 4, verse 23, we ought to watch over our heart with all diligence because from it, meaning from that inner man part of you, from it flow the issues of life, the springs of life. Our, our lives are governed by that inner man. And, and you know, you've seen this picture before that the heart, the inner man sort of drives the body, which includes the brain. But of course, the little dashed arrows on your picture there demonstrate that the body interacts with the soul, right? The body interacts with the heart. It, it puts feedback on that. And, and we know that because uh, we had a long day of fun yesterday and all of us had trouble getting up this morning. You know, in our spirits, we're going, church is important. We need to go to worship. And our bodies are saying, no, 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 no. So we understand that, right? Our, our bodies pressure, so to speak, our inner man to respond in a certain way. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's not a good thing. So what happens in addiction? And this, this is so important that you get this. And uh, I don't know what I'm going to do for you guys because you can't see that, but there's two additional arrows that you don't have in your notes. But just picture this for me. What happens in addiction? In addiction, you're putting a foreign substance into your body that now adds another variable to the behavior that you're engaging in. Okay? And that's significant because God made us both inner man and outer man. You put something into your body, that changes how you feel. It could change how you think. It could change uh, how you process. Um, it's, a, it's a definite factor. Now, you say, what about video games? What about gambling? And ga if, if I go play the slots, you know, we, we get on I-35, we go north, we get over to the border in Oklahoma, and the first thing you see off to the, the east side there is what? A casino. Right? There's a casino there. So we go up there, we play the slots all weekend, and you say, well, I'm not, I'm not putting anything into my body there. No, you're not. But what's interesting is, medically, 
when you engage in certain behaviors like video games, like gambling, your body is releasing chemicals into your brain that in some cases mimic the same mechanisms as if you're putting something into your body. And that's why addiction in terms of gambling, I'm not putting anything into my body, I'm not shooting up heroin, but the experience of gambling releases chemicals into your body that in a sense can be habit-forming or addicting. And you know this. You look at your phone too much, don't you? Why do you do that? Because there is a part of this that becomes habitual. It's just, oh yeah, let's check my Facebook, let's check my... Right? There's a chemical part of that going on. There's a spiritual part of that going on. Um, Maybe it's shopping on Amazon. Maybe it's social media. Uh, Maybe it's something else, right? Maybe it's your hobby that, that has become out of moderation. But the point is there are chemicals that are going on, either putting into your body or naturally occurring that are being produced by the activity that are part of the experience of addiction. So, so when we hear from the culture, addiction is disease, what do, what, do, what do Christians say to that? It's a brain disorder. And we say, that's not all of it, is it? You know, we would agree as Christians that chemicals are certainly involved, right? And so your brain chemistry is relevant. There is a part of it that is a medical issue. But when we read in the Bible, where does this all come from? The Bible's not saying it's your outer man that's the problem, it's your body that's the problem. The Bible is saying, no, 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 that starts in your heart. It starts as a, a spiritual issue, even though your body is an accomplice, so to speak, in the addiction. It's ultimately and initially a spiritual issue. Okay, you with me on that? Does that make sense? We, we've got to have what we call this biblical anthropology, how we understand people from a biblical standpoint. And we've got to have this down because we are so prone to believe our psychotherapeutic culture when it comes to addiction, right? I hear radio ads every week. You know, addiction is a brain disease and you need a medical doctor. And again, part, part of that is true. Chemicals are involved. Your, your brain is involved in that. But that's actually projecting a, a, a wrong view of how we think about people, and it's, it's presenting a wrong view of how we think about their problems as it relates to addiction. So this, this helps us think a little more biblically, at least I hope it will. Okay, so with all that in mind, with that by way of introduction, come back with me to Proverbs chapter 23, and I want to show you one of the most comprehensive texts in the whole Bible about addiction. Lee, I think it's it's dead, man. It's we've tried that. Okay, it probably is just dusty and needs to be cleaned. In fact, the whole side panel is off. Okay, all right, all right. Um, I'm serious, guys. This the description here. Uh, you could pull this out of a 21st century pamphlet produced by the American Psychological Organization on Addiction, right? It's it's such a, a a, a true-to-life example. Proverbs chapter 23, and uh, let's look together at, uh, well, let's start in verse 29, okay? Um, you follow along as I read in verses 29 to following. Who has a woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? 
Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? I'll just stop right there. Of all of those things, how many of them are positive? Answer, none of them, right? You don't want any of these things. In fact, you want the opposite. You want your eyes to look good. You don't want them to look red. Um, so right out of the gate, we get a description of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven things that are the result of alcohol. Or we might say more generically of addiction. Notice this, woes. What's that? What's a woe? This is the part where you talk, right? Jump in anytime. Trouble. Yeah, troubles. Yeah, problems. People with addiction, you notice this? People with addiction don't have like one problem. They have like 1,900. Well, maybe not that many. They have 23. They have 57. They don't have one or two problems. They have troubles. Sorrow. You know anybody that's struggling? You think about their life? Their life is, is, is sorrowful, isn't it? You know who they're married to? If they have a family, if they have kids, you're looking at those people and th- that dear wife, that, that, that husband that's just trying to hang on and his wife's out and she's just caught up in all of this. Those kids, they're looking at mom, they're looking at dad and they're going, what do we do? How do we, how do we, what do we, how do we survive even in some cases? So multiplied troubles, multiplied sorrows, contention. What's that? Fighting, arguing. Yeah, talk to any police officer when they go to a domestic violent call or disturbance, a domestic disturbance. What percentage of those calls where there's a a husband and wife or boyfriend and girlfriend and they're fighting, they can't get along, what percentage of those calls is alcohol involved in? A lot. By the statistics I've read, somewhere between 75-80% of the time, uh, or other, other substances, it may be, may be drugs, not just alcohol. So uh, troubles, sorrows, fighting, contention, we, we see the, the association between violence and alcohol, between arguing and anger and alcohol. Who has complaining? We all know what complaining is. And if, if you've had a family member that you've tried to minister to, you know how this works, right? I'll never do it again. I promise, right? I just, I just, need, I just need help. I, I, I just need your help me get back on my feet, right? And, you know, you know I, I didn't have a good upbringing. You know, that boss, right, that boss took advantage of me and that's why I'm in this situation or I had that relationship where that person wasn't kind to me and here I am and what are they doing? They're looking at their situation through a skewed lens. They're complaining about other people in their life. You see blaming, right? It's this person's fault. It's the, Yeah, I know I, need, I have some things I need to work on but really it's that person or this other person, this person that didn't help me, this person that took advantage of me. And the Bible is saying that's associated with this sort of problem. And again, if you've ministered to somebody, you, you know exactly what this is like. Who has wounds without cause? Isn't that true? In, in context, we're going to see, 
You, you may wake up in a strange bed, in a strange room, and you have physical wounds that you don't remember how you got them. That's the context of this verse. Because you were too drunk to remember what on earth happened to you. And we can take the principle of that and recognize that there are many things, many struggles that people given to alcohol will struggle with and they can't even figure out the origin. And then there's redness of eyes, which is just one of the physiological effects of your hangover. Um, and we'll see later on, there's some other hangover symptoms here. Okay, but but notice, so the the Bible's answer it sets it up like this: Who has a woe? Who has a sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has red eyes? We're going. I don't know. Tell me. It's those who linger long over wine, and those who go to taste mixed wine. Now, now next time I'm going to introduce you to the categories of alcohol in the Bible because we we do when you read alcohol, strong drink, uh, wine, mixed wine. When you read those terms in the Bible. It's very important that we know kind of how does that map out today in terms of the alcohol that's available today. I will tell you, just to tease you a little bit, in a general way, that the alcohol that we have available today is tens of times stronger than most of the alcohol that was available in the ancient day. Okay, So, so when you read... Okay, I'm really going to tease you. When you read... Jesus went to a party and drank alcohol. Wedding. Don't assume that that means the same thing as you going to a wedding and you drinking alcohol. Because it doesn't. Um, We'll talk about that more next time. But the point is, who has all these problems in their life? Those who linger over wine, who go to taste mixed wine. Now notice... Verse 31, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup. Notice the elements of addiction here. On your notes there, the first thing is a captivating appeal. A captivating appeal. This, this, I don't mean this to be trite or unprofound, but, but just think with me for a minute. All addiction involves something that is attractive to the person. Right? You wouldn't do addiction if there wasn't something attractive to it. And the Bible here is showing us that in all addiction, and specifically with alcohol, there's something that draws us to it. Right? There, there's some compelling, some appealing aspect of this. And in this case, uh, Solomon points out the, um, the look, the smell, uh, the taste, the sparkling in the cup, uh, you, uh, alcoholic, if you've ever ministered to somebody who, who's really struggling with alcohol, they talk about the sound of the bottle opening. They talk about the smell of the alcohol. They talk about the sound of a top of the beer being opened. And th- those become part of the experience, part of the attraction. They, they may go to the Ranger game. They say, I'm not drinking this time. I'm not going. I'm just going to go. I'm going to watch the game. I'm going to look out for foul balls. But I'm not drinking. And then they hear all around them. And what does that do? They start salivating. It's like um, Pavlov's dog, right? Remember that, right? With the dogs and they they hear the bell. You know, that's what happens. 
Because it's part of the experience of addiction. There's an appeal. There's an attraction. And and that's what Solomon is saying is, if you're going to help somebody, you've got to recognize that that's part of the addiction. That's part of the problem. So there's this captivating appeal. Look at verse 32. Don't, he says, you know, don't, don't look on the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup. Don't, uh, it goes down smoothly. You know, Solomon's saying, see through the attraction. See through the appeal. The, the thing that you're drawn to. Don't buy into that. Why? Verse 32. Because at the last it bites like a serpent and it stings like a viper. Now, Solomon here is specifically talking about the physiological effects of drunkenness. So, so let's, we, we have some young people here, and, and we want to educate them on the horrors of being drunk here, okay? So, so guys, this is why you don't ever want to do this, okay? First of all, because God says it's wrong. God says it's not good for you. But let's just talk here about what is that experience of drunkenness like? Maybe you've been drunk at some time in your life, and by God's grace, you've repented and changed. Maybe you've been around people. So what is that experience like? Nobody wants to share. No, come on, jump in, jump in. Come on. We've all seen this. Uh, Some of us have done this to our shame, but praise be to God, there's grace and forgiveness. We can grow and change. But let's... What's he describing here? What are some of the negative physiological effects of being drunk? Sure, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Christy, for sharing that. That's, that's true. So, so totally passing out in a place where you don't know, embarrassing, saying things that you normally wouldn't reveal to somebody else, private things, inappropriate things, uh, suicidal thoughts. Um, you know, we, Solomon talks here about violence being taken advantage of physically uh, or in other ways when you're, when you're not aware totally what's going on. Memory loss, you don't remember things that happened during that time. You don't remember what you did, what you, did, what you said. We're looking at this going, why would anybody want to do this? And yet you go on most college campuses, you know what they say? They say, this is the height of what it means to live. Right? You haven't lived until you've had this experience. It's just stupid. It's just flat out stupid. Notice what he says. It bites like a serpent. It stings like a viper. Verse 33, your eyes will see strange things. Your mind will utter perverse things. Right, your, your perception is changed. This is why this is why people kill people when they get into a car drunk because they're not seeing like physically. They're not seeing clearly. They're not perceiving clearly. There's a, a, a reduction of um, of uh, uh, sense perception, reaction time, and judgment. We um, uh, in uh, I had a, uh, had a training recently uh, in um, the Civil Air Patrol squadron in town where uh, you guys know Dub Gillum. He's uh, one of the 
DPS troopers in our community's safety officer, and he came, and uh, he did a whole production on on drunk driving and distracted driving. And they've got these um, they've got these glasses. Have you seen these? Maybe some of you've had them. They look like a pair of goggles that you would wear if you're you know edging your lawn or something like that. And you put them on, and it mimics what it's like to be a little bit your blood alcohol level is up, right? And they have different glasses depending on how much your blood alcohol content is. And, uh, and then so, so the, we had our cadets with us. So these are, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old young people, great coordinated. Uh, and, and they put on the glasses and they say, I want you to walk on a straight line. And they're, you know, they're doing this down there. They, they can't, right? And, and it shows you when you're conscious and fully aware, it shows you in a way that's very memorable and very effective how alcohol can negatively affect your judgment and your ability to be coordinated and, of course, operating a motor vehicle and other things. Um, yeah, your eyes see strange things. Your mind will utter perverse things. Look at verse 34. You will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea um, or like one who lies down on the top of a mast. Anybody get seasick? Okay, Linda admits it. Anybody else get seasick? Our first and only cruise on our anniversary many years ago, we were in the um, the bow of the ship, which is where the weight room was in the gym. And Lisa and I are both on the treadmills, right? And the the sea was so rough that day. It's like, I'm on the treadmill. I feel like I just lost 50 pounds. Oh, I'm coming back to the treadmill. Oh, I just gained 50 pounds. Because you're just going up and down on the treadmill. And it's just is the weirdest thing. You remember that? We almost couldn't do it. And um, so we finished our workout, went back to the room. I, I don't feel so good, sweetheart. Uh, and I took some Dramamine and napped the rest of the day, I think is what happened. But yeah, I, was, I just was so sick, right? And um, that's what Solomon says happens to you when you drink too much alcohol. You feel seasick. You feel sick to your stomach, that, 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 he- that headache hang- hangover thing. Um, it's like you're at the top of a mast of a ship, right? And the ship is rocking back and forth and you're going, oh, I'm going to lose my lunch. And we say, why would we ever want to do this? But it gets worse. Verse 35. They struck me. Who's they? Who, who struck this person that's been lingering over wine too long? Who struck him? He doesn't know because he doesn't remember. That's why it's ambiguous. It's they struck me. I don't know. Just whoever I was with. Right? I, I, all, last thing I remember, I was having a great time. And I wake up with these wounds. I don't know who did it. I don't know who robbed me. I don't know who took advantage of me. They struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. So, so let's catch up on your notes, right? There's a captivating appeal, right? Verse 35, there's irrational thinking, irrational behavior. Look at verse 35. They struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. When shall I awake? And I will seek another drink. And that explains the insanity of addiction. And when you read both in the secular literature as well as what the Bible teaches, you see this idea that I know it's bad for me. 
There are all these negative consequences, but I just keep doing it. I wake up and I do it again. I wake up and I do it again. Okay? So on your notes there, the irrational thinking and behavior, I just keep doing it. Cravings for more, I will seek another drink. There's a lack of change even in spite of negative consequences, right? My eyes see strange things. My mouth utters perverse things. I get beat up. I get taken advantage of. I don't know who did it. I don't know where it came from. I've got sorrows and woes and contentions and complaining and wounds and physiological redness of eyes. I've got all these things and I don't change. Can you think of a better situation where a person needs the gospel than this? You're just out of control. And, and, and this, this, is, this is the fatally, etern- this, this is like the eternally fatal lie of a secular view of addiction. Because a secular view of addiction does not introduce the one thing that can actually help a person, that is, that is Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That's a changed heart. That's forgiveness. That's guilt removed. That, that's a, the Holy Spirit who can actually come and begin to change that person from this to a person who walks in righteousness. And, and that, that's why calling, that, that's why if you have a loved one who has an addiction, that's why buying in to the worldview that says it's a disease, that's why that's the worst thing you can tell them. Because if you tell them it's a disease, you're aiming them toward a cure and a solution that will not lead them to the gospel. Right? I'm not saying physiology isn't involved. I'm not saying there isn't medical parts of it. Sure there is. But the gospel is the solution. That, that's the whole point, right? This sounds like Romans 3. I can't change myself. I don't do good. I, 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 there's none righteous, not even one, right? I, I'm there hopeless and helpless. And unless God reaches down out of heaven through the person of Jesus and rescues me and changes me, there's no hope. I just get up and I seek another drink. You say, well, what about AA, right? AA has done great things, right, in terms of getting people sober and all that. Well, well praise God for AA insofar as it gets drunks off the street. But... Is sobriety the, the criteria? Sobriety is not the solution. Gospel transformation is the solution. right? It doesn't matter. We call this idol swapping in biblical counseling. It doesn't matter if you trade alcohol addiction for online gambling. doesn't matter. You're still not honoring God. It doesn't matter if you, you quit your, your marijuana problem, but now you've got this, this compulsive online shopping thing going on. It doesn't matter. I mean, one's maybe less detrimental to your body than the other, but both of them fall short of the glory of God, and both of them dishonor your relationship with Jesus. So anyway, I'm preaching to you a little bit, but, but that's, that's the paradigm that we see here. And, and I think more than any other place in Scripture, this is, this is an amazingly helpful illustration and example of what an addiction is, what it looks like, the factors here. And next time, we're going to talk about how to help somebody who's struggling. Okay? So let's put a comment in our notes. We'll come back next week. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus who is able to rescue us off of any addiction, off of any 
slavery to any sin, whether it's alcohol or any other type. We thank you, Father, that you, when we were still dead in our trespasses and sins, you made us alive together with Christ, initiating redemption, sending Jesus to live, to die, and to rise again in our place so that we would have hope. And we thank you that when we are in bondage to sin, in your glorious grace, you, you rescue us out of that situation through the gospel. Father, I pray as we identify areas of struggle in our own life and as we help family members and friends that are struggling, that you would point us to Jesus and we would see how the gospel is the only answer for any struggle and particularly for these struggles, these serious struggles of addiction that we've talked about in brief today. So, Lord, give us hope in you. Help us to be leaning on you and turning to Christ and to have a confidence that he is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. And we rest in that. We trust that. We pray for that in the lives of those that we love and people that are struggling. In Jesus' name, amen.